Man, you may be seated. <clears throat> At long last, we are entering into the last chapter of Ephesians and to think some of our people are missing it because they wanted to be with their moms today. Goodness. I'm just kidding. I'm really glad you're here today. It's actually quite a happy coincidence if, if you uh, believe in coincidences. I don't, but I like that phrase, happy coincidence. It makes me feel good when I say it. Um, but this paragraph, it's, it's really good. I'm glad that we're here today because God knew what He was doing as He arranged and rearranged some of my plans. And, and I wouldn't have us here today, but I think it's special that we get to be here today celebrating on this Mother's Day and hearing from God's Word about the role of parents in the church and not just the role of parents, but the role of children. You know, I think it's important that we recognize that Paul is speaking directly to both. And we'll deal with that a little bit. But this paragraph is the second of three illustrations he, Paul illustrates from this idea that we are to submit to one another. He gives us this, this call, this command, that as we submit under the authority of the Spirit, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And if you remember back to what that was, it was a call for Christians. This is not for non-Christians. This is not for people outside the church. This is for people who belong to Jesus, who have been saved, who have been converted, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, in, in actuality, he says to them to now act like it, to, to live like it, to walk under His influence. And in essence, He's saying walk under His authority. And we don't like that in our culture. We like the idea of ruling our own life and doing our own thing, but there's a specific way, a specific expectation for Christians. And we really sung about it all morning long. I had no idea that Matt was going to pick these songs. I don't even know that Matt knew or understood what I was going to talk about today and see how they were going to line up. But the reality is we've been singing about the authority of Christ, about the authority of God all morning. The King of love. He's the only thing we have and He is our only satisfaction. He's our only hope. He's, he's the source of all that we are. And that's in Christianity. That's really the heart of what makes us breathe. It makes it gives us not just life, but it gives us motive for, for now living life as He's called us to and expects us to. And so Paul comes and gives these commands, not as, not as, uh, well, you could do this if you want to, not as best practices. They're not. That's not what he gives them as. He gives them as commands, expecting God's people to faithfully obey. And so he comes to this place where he then breaks that out, and inside the church there's this submission of of each one, each other to the other, and so all of us should be submitting to one another. But then he breaks it out and specifically begins to illustrate that, and he starts inside the home, and actually stays inside the home through all illustrations, but particularly with husbands and wives. And he says, husbands, you're the authority. Wives, you're to willfully submit. But husbands, you're not an authoritarian or a dictator. You're a servant leader. You are to humbly exercise authority that God's given you. That's God's design for the marriage. And, and the reality is, is what that does is that sets a tone for the whole house or the intention of God's tone for the whole house is, is a demonstration of Christ and the church. And we've dealt with that for the last three weeks. And what that should do in our culture is set up little pockets of heaven on earth. This is the reality of what should be happening. It should be demonstrating the glory of God in our culture as husbands give themselves up for their wives and as wives willfully submit under the authority given to their husbands. It should demonstrate heaven on earth. Well, that doesn't stop when Paul stops talking about husbands and wives, but extends even to parents and children. 
And so as you heard it, you know, Paul is, Paul is dealing with this and he's, he's speaking to these two particular roles and how there's a dual submission. And it's easy, I think, to see the submission of children to parents. There's some very direct language written for children to obey and to honor. But I don't, I don't think it's as clear for uh, us to see how parents are called to submit to, to their children or submit their lives for their children or submit their own will for their children. But by the end of this, I think you'll, you'll see it. Now, what I want you to get from this and what I want you to understand, what I hope you'll take away from this is really what we've been preparing for since we started worshiping. Again, I don't think Matt was planning for this. I don't think it was his intention. I don't want you to come and have just had some emotional um, emotional experience. I, I think, I don't, I don't know if I was the only one, but I sensed the, the weight of emotion. I mean, I think about the, the families in this church affected by loss. The, 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 the terror that sin has caused on our people. And it breaks me. I'm as up here bawling. But the reality is, the truth is, the hope is, that within our families, within our homes, as we strive to imitate and live in and under the influence and authority of the Spirit of God who indwells every believer, we can have outposts for heaven. And we can give the earth a taste of heaven even today. And not only those who have had great parents, but those who have had horrible parents can experience the glory and grace of one who has been provided for Ultimately and completely because our Father in heaven is really the ultimate giver of gifts and the ultimate provider of all things and the ultimate protector and the ultimate discipliner and the ultimate one who has your best interest in mind. You see, when we leave today, I hope you see your roles as parents and as children and are able to walk in them more fully. But with that, I hope you walk out with the hope of a child of God who's been empowered, enabled, equipped to be this person He's called you to be. So let's just deal with it. Let's start working through it. I am going to talk to children and parents. I'm going to deal mostly with parents, and most of the application will go to parents. Not because I think that you don't need to hear about children. I think you do. But the reality is I'm speaking mostly to people who are either going to be parents or are parents or or friends of parents that need to be supporting parents. So the reality is that's where most of the application is going to be. And then I hope you'll take these ideas home and you'll teach them to your children. But he starts in verse 1. Paul speaks directly to children. Now this in and of itself, I think, is extremely shocking. All that he's done with fathers and, or I'm sorry, husbands and wives has already been culturally shocking to these people. It's not just shocking to us for us to hear the phrase, wives submit to your husbands. And it's not just shocking for us to hear husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's shocking, right? It was shocking to them and it's shocking to us. But the reality is, is now he comes to this place that I think is, is equally shocking to this culture because he doesn't just, he doesn't just talk about children. He talks to children and he says, children, obey your parents. Now here's the thing. I come from a generation and I think I'm one of the last in my, in my age range, we're one of the last people who grew up with this idea and understanding that children were seen and not heard. Now, people behind us in our age group, may, they may have heard it, but I don't think it was ever expressly applied to them. But I grew up with this understanding, children are seen and not heard. 
I don't think we teach that to our kids today. And I don't even really think it's biblical, so I'm not trying to condone that. They don't hear me condoning that. But I think the reality is that in this culture that Paul was writing, they weren't just seen and not heard. They were property. They were more property than they were people. In fact, there was this this um, this thinking, this, this legislation, actually. I mean, it was the way the government acted in the Roman culture. It was called uh, Patria Potestas. The father had ultimate authority in the home. And the reality is, he could do whatever he wanted to his children. And then they didn't have a, they didn't have a, a chance. They had no way. And, and this didn't end when they grew up and moved out. This was, this was all of life. To the moment they died, or actually to the moment he died, he had rule over his children. So an, a 95-year-old man could be telling a grandfather what to do. And expecting obedience. And if there wasn't obedience, and I'm, I'm talking strict letter of the law obedience, if there, if there wasn't obedience, he could have him killed. In Jewish culture, for children that were disobedient, there's legal, there's law in the Bible to stone them, to kill them. You see, the reality is that this was, this was a big deal. And I think in the gospel, we've seen uh, the, the role of parents come a long way. I think there's been great movement forward in, in the reality of what we're called to. But the truth is this. The truth is this. It doesn't deny the fact that children, the young, are to obey. Right? Now, let me deal with this first because I think, I think it's important that you guys see this and especially the way we practice at our church. Some of the things that we implemented at our church from the very beginning and, and until I'm gone, I'm going to fight for this tooth and nail because I really believe it's, it's a happy medium between all different perspectives. Paul is writing to children. It demonstrates that young children, we don't know what the age range was, we don't have an understanding of that, but young children, he used the word specifically referred to young children. He expected them to hear his words. Now, in our church, we don't take the youngest and bring them in. We, we, we put them in kids' way and up through fifth grade. We, we ask that you allow us to, to help you and serve you by building a strong foundation of gospel identity. We want, we want to help you teach your children to love Jesus. Not simply obey you, but love Jesus that will lead to obedience to you. That's what we hope for. That's what we long for. So every Sunday morning, when we dismiss kids out of here, Every, every, every child up through fifth grade, we dismiss and we allow them to go into a service at a time which is specifically tailored towards them and, and intended to equip them to love Jesus. Now, there's, there's weaknesses in it. There's ways we're growing. There's ways we're, we're learning. And, and we need, always need help and service in that. And I don't want to say that it's perfect and we got it all figured out. The reality is there's not a parent in here that's got it all figured out either. So we're just like you, right? But we're also not a church who sends them away until they're finished high school and never asks them to come in and hear the preaching of the Word. I think it's important that we see the principle Paul lays out here. You see, Paul is speaking to children. And it's already, at a very young age, he is expecting them to hear the Word so that not only are they able to hear it, but they're able to begin learning from how their parents respond to it. See that? Parents. You know why we ask you to keep your kids in here or encourage you to keep your kids in here through the first worship set? Because you are responsible to teach them to worship. 
Not me. Now, I play, I play a part. And your community group plays a part. But you know who's going to stand in heaven responsible for how you taught your kids to worship God? You. You are responsible for this. Parents, it is your responsibility. And so when your kids get to fifth grade, we're not, we're not providing another program that takes them out of the service. We're asking you to teach them to sit in the service and begin preparing them to sit in the service before they get to fifth grade so that they can begin to learn and understand and hear from the proclamation of God's Word. If you are not doing that for your children, you are failing them. Because if you let that go until high school, we see the statistics. They are leaving because church isn't fun anymore. But church isn't always fun. But church should always be fruitful. That's what we're striving for here. It's what we're pushing for. So parents, it's your responsibility. We're providing the opportunity. We're, we're helping equip you and prepare you for it. But you need to hear this. You need to hear this from me because nobody else probably has a platform from which to say it. It's your responsibility. And if you're letting your kids out of it, you're failing your children. I'm sorry, that's just the way I think that. that I think that that's what Paul demonstrates in this. But he doesn't stop there. He says also that children are to obey. So as the children heard that, they heard something different than wives. See, wives were called to submit in a willful, willful fashion. There was a, there was a, a voluntary perspective on the language. Children didn't get that. When he said it to children, he just said, obey. There's no, if you want to, or if it feels good, or if you like it. It's just simply, Obey. You see, here's the reality. In creation, children are still equal. Part they're equal with with adults. There's no there's no less than. They're not they're not less worthy. They're not they're not um, uh, simply property. They are part of God's creation. They are equal with us as as men and women in God's creation. But they are lower on the food chain of God's authority. And so, as you see God's authority through this passage, and we've got to pull back from the from the rest of the passage, he says, be filled with the Spirit, submit to His authority. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lovingly lead and exercise authority over your wife. And then he says, below that even, children are to obey. Obey. Well, there's no children in here for me to apply that to, so parents, guess what? I'm going to apply it to you. It is your responsibility. Parents, it is your responsibility to teach your children to obey. God has given you authority to teach your children to do this, and He expects you to use it. There's nobody else that has this right. I don't have the right to walk up to your child and exercise parental authority. I do have the right to do that with my children, but I don't have the right to do that with yours. There's no one else that has this, this right. You are God's first line of authority in your child's life. If they don't learn to obey from their parents, they will continue they will continue to think that the whole world revolves around them and is meant for their purposes. They will grow up to be narcissistic individuals who simply consume and never want to give back. I hate to break it to you, but your children, as cute and lovable as they are, are evil. Hey, and I, and I just want, I want to say this from a certain position. I, I want you to recognize... I am blessed to be in a community group that has more children than any community group in the history 
of our church. I think we have as many kids in our community group as there are adults. And sometimes you can tell. And it's fun. I, I love sitting and talking with them. Man, some of them are so fun. They make me laugh so much. I love them. I love your children. And I want the absolute best for them. I love just spending time with them and sitting down and having a meal with them and, and just hearing the things that they say and just thinking about life from their perspective. That's a blessing. But inside of that adorable package is a rotting soul that's completely self-centered and cares about no one but him or herself. Parents. Christian parents especially. I think the, the reality goes further than the church, but Christian parents, you have been called to teach your children something different. I like what John MacArthur says. I don't completely agree with it, and I'll tell you how in just a second. But let me share with this, this quote that he has. Children that grow up doing awful and evil things are not the product of what their parents did to them, but what their parents didn't do to them. Now, I don't completely agree with him because I think we can go overboard. We're going to deal with that in just a second as we get to the place where Paul talks to parents. I think we can't overdo it. And we can pass on our junk. We can pass on our problems. We can pass on all the issues that we've grown up with and we can make them just deal with it. And we can ruin them because of it. But there's enough evidence in our culture. There's enough evidence in the world around us. And I can go back and dig it all up. I don't have it written down. don't have time to really share it. But if you want it, I'll go and dig it up. There's plenty of evidence that demonstrates when a parent doesn't discipline their child and teach them to obey they are more likely to turn out rotten than if they're beaten. It's the unfortunate reality. It's the unfortunate truth. Listen, Proverbs, the book of wisdom. The, the writer knew what he was talking about when he says in 13.24, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Listen, parents, in disciplining and teaching your children to obey, the Bible is clear. There should be some level of corporate exercise of discipline. Corporal exercise of discipline. There should be some active and physical response and consequence. And if you are not willing and able to enact it, at some level the reality is, and this is not my opinion, this is the teaching of Scripture, you don't love your children. Now, you can do some acrobatics with that if you want and do go back into the text and, and bend it and shape it and mold it how you want. But the teaching of biblical hermeneutics, the teaching of the interpretation of Scripture is the main and plain meaning is the one to fall to. And I think this is pretty main and plain. Proverbs 20, just so you know, this wasn't an isolated verse. Proverbs 22.15, Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. My dad, and, and I'm not condoning necessarily the way my dad did things. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't model that, and I wouldn't ask you to model it either. But my dad, I can remember at a young age hearing stories about some things that either he said or he adopted from someone else. And he said, children start out with their brains in their butt, and they have to be beaten to their head. <laughs> and I think he tried to do that from the time I was little to the time I was eight or nine when, when he left. But the reality is... There's, there's a principle there that maybe he overdid it. 
Our children are foolish. They lack understanding. They lack experience. And the passage in Romans doesn't just apply the passage in Romans 3 that says that there's death within us. That we are, that we are, are, are fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't just apply to us as adults. That applies to your children. The rod of discipline drives it far from them. I, I, I guarantee you, you ask my boys, they didn't appreciate being spanked as a child. They're in here, so you can ask them. But they recognize the fruit that came from it later. And in fact, they chose to live with someone who disciplined with them instead of someone who didn't. And they chose that themselves because they were being taught wisdom. It's beautiful, really powerful illustration of what this verse leads us to. Proverbs 23.13 Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Oh, but psychologists tell, we're going to, tell us we're going to mess him up with forever if we enact corporal discipline. Now, I want you to notice I'm using a, I'm not saying corporal punishment. But for our purposes here, if you're just out to punish your kid, you need to walk away. If you just want to make him or her pay because they've made you angry, you are in sin. I wish I could say I was perfect in this. I wish I could say I'd never punished my children. But by God's grace, I grew up and I learned to discipline them. To enact physical consequence in order that they might learn God's goodness and grace. Oh, but... Oh, the psychologist, oh yeah, yeah. You listen to the world or you listen to God's Word, it's your choice. I'm presenting to you what God's Word calls us to. I know, I already know, some of you don't like spanking. I know, and right now you're probably furious with me because I'm telling you you ought to go home and do something to spank your, spank your kids or do something that enacts a, a physical consequence for their rebellion. I know you're furious with me, but do not be furious with me. I'm simply proclaiming what God's Word said. You go home and you deal with that. And you submit yourself under the leading of the Holy Spirit and you walk in the way He's called you to. But I don't think spanking is the only way to do it. I think there's a reality in a number of ways that we can discipline. In fact, spanking wasn't my first go-to thing. In fact, I did not spank. I never spanked on a first offense. Never. They had to learn the rules. They had to learn and understand when they'd done something wrong. So you talk to them. And then you bring other consequences like time out and... and um, groundings and things like that. And then there came a time when I realized spanking wasn't even the most effective. They were, they were laughing at me. I would never use anything but my hand because I was afraid that I would swing too hard and hurt too much. It was not intended to hurt them. So I'd only ever use my hand. I'd, only, I'd limit it to a number of licks. There's never, never an offense that, that, that was more than a certain number of licks. Because as I grew up in this and as I learned in it, I recognized that I'm not here to punish. I'm here to let them feel the weight of their decisions. But it was, it was as a result of a process of instruction and discipline that we came to this place. And as they grew up, I recognized it wasn't the most effective way. And as a person who went through the military, it was in the military, I was, a, I was a, um, in the Army, and, and the best, maybe the most effective way that drill sergeants had to discipline people in the army was to smoke them. That's what we call it. We get smoked. And so you've seen it on movies where they'd say, drop and give me 20 or drop and give me... That's nothing. 
I mean, this would go on for 15, 20 minutes where you're doing push-ups, sit-ups, flutter kicks, up, down, up, down, up, down, push-ups. Get in the push-up position, just hold it. And I'm going to tell you what, doing, doing that, just hanging in the push-up position is probably harder than doing push-ups. It is difficult. And that became my, my way to discipline my boys. And they knew. They knew when they came and confessed to me that I wasn't necessarily going to discipline them in any harsh manner. So they learned if they lied, if they increased their sin and tried to hide it and tried to just continue in it, that there was a greater consequence. Typically, that kind of thing was reserved for that. And you may look at me and you may think I'm cruel and heartless. I'm going to tell you it's one of the most difficult things I've ever done as a parent. To watch them hurt. To watch them suffer at my hand. But we bring them to doctors and let them poke and prod. We send them off into schools and hope that they have some good in mind. We're sending them into a world that hates them and doesn't care about them at all. I love my kids enough to discipline them. Parents, you have been given authority by God to teach your children to obey if you're not doing it. Not only are you not loving your children, you are failing your children. He expects you to use that authority. So that's the young. Speaking directly to young children. But then he draws from a command. This is the second idea that Paul presents. He says, honor your father and mother. And we don't have all the time we need to go through this verse and pick apart every part. But the reality is we're all called to honor our parents. There's no one that this verse overlooks. Certainly, here's what happens. A child grows up and begins to, to be able to exercise some level of authority. And in fact, you can kind of see it in this passage. Paul says a, a man should leave his father and mother, step out from under their authority, stand under God's authority, and his wife, cleave to his wife and exercise authority as the wife submits to his authority. This whole passage presents this flow of God's authority through his people starting in his marriages and in parents and children. And you see that happening. So my, my children are 20 and 18 years old. I don't exercise authority over them the same way I did, but I can tell you if there was something that was in, that, that, that was dangerous or I knew would immediately lead to their demise, I would exercise the authority in the same way I always have, and I would tell them no. But as soon as they move out, I am praying, I am praying that the Spirit leads them and protects them. See, here's the reality of this. We all step out from underneath our parents' authority at some point, and that's done, been done culturally differently throughout time. But none of us are exempt from this. None of us are exempt from the call to honor our father and mother. And here's the reality, is that this doesn't say love them in an affectionate sense. It doesn't say uh, obey them. It doesn't even say to trust them. It says to honor them. So I think we need to understand what that means. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. And so I'm just going to use his definition. Honor is a decision. You hear that? A decision. It's a willful choice. Honor is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy. So on this Mother's Day, it's a good thing to set aside a day to celebrate the woman who had a huge part in your life and you being the person you are today. It's a great thing for you to be able to spend time with her, to buy her a card and some flowers, to go bring her to lunch and spend time with her and just be grateful 
for what she's done for you, to be courteous to her, to think of her, to, to have her in mind. It's also a decision, he says, to provide long-term loyalty to their best interests. You know who's responsible for taking care of parents when they can no longer take care of themselves? Children who've been raised by their parents. Here's the reality. I wasn't raised by my dad. He left. You know who's responsible for honoring him in his old age when he can't take care of himself? Me. But by God's grace, I, I pray that He will have grown me to the point where I can do that well. My mom... Imagine sending her off to be taken care of by brothers and sisters who deny the faith when she is a faithful woman. Breaks my heart. To be loyal to her best interests is to honor her. Not, it's not obedience anymore. You see, we step out from underneath that. It's consistently and constantly considering and being courteous and being mindful of the role that they played in your life and you becoming, by God's grace, through your parents, who you are today. And then he comes to this place, parents, discipline purposefully. And he gives us this, this twofold perspective. He gives us this twofold perspective. He, we've already dealt with the discipline, so we're not going to have to work there very much. But, but he does give us this twofold perspective on what parents are supposed to do. And, and let me deal with this before we go any further, because he says, fathers, do not anger your children. Do not provoke them to anger. Now, I think that he did that. And I'm not, I don't have Paul here to ask, but as I read the text and as I look at it, I think he did that because he's already been expressing how authority flows from God through the husband as a father to the children. It doesn't deny that the mother has a role. In fact, he's already told children to obey and honor their parents, mother and father. Tim Keller says that maybe the reason he addressed fathers specifically in this is because fathers are the ones most likely to do it. And that may very well be true. But the reality is, is that I think the principles laid out here, even though addressed to the Father, apply to both. <clears throat> and I think, I think there's some specific principles. And the, and the first I would say is this. We may delegate the task of raising our children, but we can't delegate responsibility for our children. You see, he didn't say churches, schools, Governments, cultures, communities, villages. He didn't say those things should raise your children and bring them up. He said fathers with the understanding that mothers are involved. There's a reality here, parents, that we can never step away from the responsibility of who our children are and are becoming. It's like a basketball coach. And that coach is responsible to teach and train and equip those players on the court. And whether they win or lose, he really doesn't have a lot of control over what happens out there except what he does in the training and equipping time, right? At some point, he's got to send them out to play. But you know, when they win and lose, he gets credit or he gets blamed, even though he never stepped foot on the court. 
That's because one thing we can never delegate is responsibility. We can't. We can, dele- we can delegate tasks. We can delegate events. We can delegate different pieces of the pie. But we cannot delegate our responsibility because it was given to us by God. And He said, you are the one responsible to do this. And He gives us two ideas on how that's to be done. First, He says, parents should not cause their children to be angry. Now, I think we should summarize that. Parents should not cause their children to be angry without good reason. And here's the reason I think that. Because in the very next breath, He's going to say, but discipline them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Have you been disciplined and gotten angry at the person you've been disciplined by? Maybe you've been angry at God for disciplining you in ways that you didn't appreciate. I know I have. You see, the reality is when we discipline people who are fallen, they are inevitably going to become angry with us at times. Ask my boys. There have been plenty of times where they've been angry with me. But they are not marked by anger and bitterness. They are a people who at times get angry and then they repent. At times they act in anger in, in incorrect manners and, and do things they shouldn't have done. And then they repent. The reality is what Paul is calling us to is don't make them angry people who are angry all the time and who are marked by, by wrath and anger who are just wanting to get back at the world. And I think we do that in three different ways. Don't make them angry by over-disciplining them because abusing them is not condoned here. I've already touched on this. Children... Children shouldn't be over-controlled or over-manipulated or over, over, overseen in such a way that they have no room to breathe or move. They should be able to make mistakes, have accidents, get into trouble, and learn from those mistakes. We are too often, too often, we are on the... Oh man, you messed up! And just trying to get even because in some way, in some way they are making us look bad. You see, what happens here is parents will strive to discipline those, their, their children so much that they, that they can't even be kids anymore. They'll control them so much that they can't be kids because they're so worried about what people will think of them. You see, they're gaining their satisfaction and their identity about what people say about them because of how their children act. And what their children do. And what other people think because their children got bumped on the noggin or stole a piece of gum at a store. Your children should be doing those things because they are fallen. Inside of them is death. You should expect it. And you should work with them through it. But we don't just anger them in that way. I mean, and let me tell you, let me tell you as one as one who started life this way. My father was an angry man. And he made for some angry children who still resent him to this day because of the things he's done to us. You want to make your children angry? You control them too heavily. You punish them too severely. And you overdo it with discipline. You want to make your children angry? Under-discipline. 
Or never let them learn what it feels like to be wrong. Or never let them feel shame for the things that they've done wrong. Or run to their rescue so that they don't experience the consequences of life. We're all too often running in. We're always running in. And we're getting involved in our kids' lives and we're not letting them work it out. We're not letting them deal with the fact that they're fallen. And we're not letting them experience the shame. We sang it in a song earlier. You proclaimed it as you sang it. How do you recognize the mercy of God? It's in your sin and shame that the mercy becomes so real because you recognize what you deserve. You understand what you deserve when you understand you're a sinner. But you understand what God held back from you when you receive His grace. And the grace becomes beautiful and majestic and powerful in the midst that you recognize, I didn't deserve it, but He gave it. You see, parents, you need to let your children feel this. And let me tell you, the world is not a place you want them to learn it first. Wouldn't you rather let them learn it from someone who loves them like God is loving them? You see, what happens? What happens in results from children who are under discipline? They get angry. They get angry when they play with other kids on the playground because two worlds collide at that point. Two very self-central gravitational pulls are going at it. It's huge. And they're screaming and fighting and scrapping because they're, the other kid isn't doing what they want them to do and the other kid's mad because they're not doing what they want to do and they become angry. And then when they lose their jobs because the boss didn't bow to my d demands, they get angry and they blame it on everybody else. And then they're sitting in a counselor's office and you know who they're blaming? Their parents. They're blaming you. And they're angry and bitter at you. But they don't recognize it's not because you didn't discipline them enough. It's because you didn't do enough. You see, they were so self-centered and narcissistic they couldn't even understand what you were trying to do because you didn't discipline them and show them the grace and mercy of God. You will make them angry if you make idols out of them. You will put them in a place in which they don't deserve and aren't equipped to be. And they will become angry and bitter with you. Then you can make them angry by neglecting them and favoring someone or something else. I mean, you favor another child in your family. My, my brothers and sisters like to say it a lot. I don't think it's true, but they, they like to say that my, I'm mom's favorite. Now, I wouldn't have said that they would have said that years and years ago, but because I'm a preacher now and she comes to my church, they think in some way that I'm her favorite. But I can tell you she talks to me about how she's on her knees for them, how she longs for their best, and how she involves herself in their life, even though she doesn't approve of it, think it's the right thing. She strives to influence it even today. The reality is, is when, when we actually do this, when we actually begin to favor someone or something else, that neglect will anger and embitter our children. See, it's not just people we do this with, though. In our culture, we are handing off our children all the time. We are so driven for our own goals and our own desires, our own pursuits. Go to the babysitter. Go, go in there and watch TV.
man, I hope that they figure out a way to get kids' way to last through high school. Parents, we embitter our children when we neglect them and don't teach them. We are expected to limit career and ministry potential to ensure that our children are raised as God intends. That may mean you may, you may need to make less money. You may need to do one less thing at the church. You may need to spend another night at home. You may need to say no to something that makes you look really good. I learned this lesson just recently. I mean, I kind of knew it, but I was given vocabulary for it as I sat and listened to a man named Larry Osborne written a number of books. But he told the story of how he delayed the writing of those books so that he could be there for his children. He was right, sitting down to write his first book, I think it was, or second book, and, and he sat down to write it, and he began the process, and one of his children told their mother, I don't like it when Dad writes books because he's never at home. So this man, who had plenty of career and ministry potential, he's a pastor in a church of several thousand people, written a number of, of books that people read and learn and glean wisdom from, and how to lead and pastor a church. But the vast majority of those books have come after his children graduated. And now he writes about a book a year. But he held that off because he recognized his first ministry was in his home. And today he's not nearly as well known as he would have been if he had started writing 25 years ago. Today he sells a lot less books. He doesn't make bestseller lists like he would have if he had had the, the, the potential the, the ongoing potential, just gaining. But he gave it up because he recognized we are called to limit our potential for our children. This is where I think we begin to see it. You see, when we over-discipline our children, we are looking for satisfaction from them in how they act and what they do and how they behave and how people perceive us because of them. When we don't discipline our children, we're looking for satisfaction in what they think of us. Well, I want to be my kid's friend. I don't. You find a place in Scripture that says you're to be their friend. I think you're to be friendly, but you're not to be their friend. You're to be their parent. You're to be a, a, a representative of God in their life. Nowhere does it say to be their friend first. And when you do that, you're worried about what your child thinks of you. You're gaining satisfaction and joy and identity by what your child thinks of you more than what your Savior has done in you. And when we step back and neglect our children and, and, and choose some other thing over them, even if it's another child, but I think especially in our culture, it's career and goals and ideals. We're finding satisfaction and enjoyment and joy and identity in what we do. You see, the reality is we as parents are called to give that up for the good of our children. Well, I could be making $100,000 a year. Who cares? If you're not able to parent your children. Well, my children, they may not like me. Who cares if they know that you love them? Well, my children... People may think I'm not a good parent if they don't obey me immediately. Who cares? When God looks at you and smiles because you are enacting the discipline He's called you to.
See, none of that matters when we get this in the right perspective. Let me just push through this last part quickly. Parents, your highest call is to prepare your children to live in God's kingdom. He says to bring them up, to raise them up so that they're able to go out into, into the culture, into the world, and live as Christian people. But that's not the end in sight. You see, you're to raise them up in the Lord. The reality is that, parents, you are called. The challenge is to raise them up so that you are preparing them to stand before God. That means, parents, that means that you are God's plan for discipleship and evangelism in your child's life. Plan A for your children is you to disciple and evangelize them so that they see their sin, so that they're confronted by the law that condemns them. But the grace of God that saves them is demonstrated in powerful and effective ways. See, if it's only truth, you're overdoing it. But if it's only grace, you're underdoing it. And your call is to do it together. To bring it all full fold full force right in front of them that they might recognize that they're a sinner but that Jesus died for them. And see, here's the reality. Sitting in this room are parents who have gone before, who have raised their kids, who have done this, done this deed and they're recognizing they didn't measure up. I'm standing here at the very end of that saying I didn't measure up. And then there are parents, many of you parents Man, you're just swimming in it because you're right in the thick of it. How in the world am I going to get this done? And then there are those of you that, man, this is scary because this is a big deal. I'm not a parent yet, but this is kind of freaky. This, this is expected of me. Let me tell you how, you how you see this begin to happen in your life. How you see it begin to just unfold in front of you. You recognize that God is your loving Father. You see, He fulfilled this role for you. And when you fail, as long as you're pointing your children to Him instead of yourself, they will see the beauty and perfection of a loving God who doesn't just command, but who suffers in order that they might be able to obey the command. You see, He went before he set the example. He gives the command and He sent His Son to die that we might recognize His, His fatherhood in our life, but so that we might also be indwelt and in, under the authority of His Spirit in our life that we might then turn and extend that same grace and that same truth to everyone else. Parents, your primary responsibility for that is in your home. And when you fail, by God's grace, He loves your children more than you do. You'll see it abound in them. Let's pray. Father God, You're good and You're gracious. You're loving. You have provided. You have made a way for us. But You have given us a high Paul, 
You've given us a great responsibility and blessed us with Your power and Your Spirit to equip us. Would You help us, Father, as, as parents-to-be, as parents who have been and parents who, are, who now are, who are striving to, to exemplify this, who are, who are striving to figure it all out and understand their God-given responsibility. Father, would You indwell us? Would You speak to us? Would You convict us? But would You also encourage us? We love You. We know. We rest in Your grace. We don't deserve it. We know that we now have an ability and opportunity to exhibit that for others. Would You give us strength to do it? It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.